In a world ruled by emotion, where reason is abandoned, God is forsaken, and history forgotten, two brave men will attempt to do the unthinkable. Use their brains. Armed with ancient wisdom, they will bring light into our modern world. This is the Sons of Antiquity Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Sons of Antiquity Podcast. I'm your host, Evan, and I'm joined in the studio by my co-host, Dan. Hello, hello. The Ship of Theseus is a famous philosophical thought experiment that challenges our notions of identity. At the very least, you will get a fun brain teaser. I have actually brought this up in conversation with non-nerdy people, and it has started robust discussions. So let's go ahead and get started. Here's what we're going to cover on today's episode. First, a statement of the riddle and the sources. Then, our first impressions. Hobbes' addendum. You'll find out what that is. A deeper dive into issues at hand. Historical answers and our analysis. Implications of the riddle. Our, quote, answers. And, finally, is philosophy the art of asking useless questions and not doing anything productive in life? Or, on the other hand, is it the source of all knowledge? That'll be a good discussion. Let us begin with a statement of the riddle and... Uh, the sources and talk about where it comes from. This thought experiment first appeared in Plutarch's Lives of the Noble Grecians and Romans, which is a important classic uh, that you ought to read. We highly recommend it. In his section on the mythical Greek hero Theseus, Plutarch wrote, The ship wherein Theseus and the youth of Athens returned from Crete had 30 oars and was preserved by the Athenians down even to the time of Demetrius Phalerius. For they took away the old planks as they decayed, putting in new and stronger timber in their places, insomuch that this ship became a standing example among the philosophers for the logical question of things that grow, one side holding that the ship remained the same, and the other contending that it was not the same. Let's restate the problem in simple terms. You have a ship that Theseus used on his legendary voyages, once it came back to Athens, it became a museum piece, essentially, and was permanently docked in the harbor. However, the elements took their toll on the wood, and over time, the planks became rotten and had to be replaced. At some point, every plank had been replaced, and not a single material aspect of the original ship remained. Is it still the ship of Theseus? And if not, when did it stop being the real ship of Theseus? It's worth noting that there have been many variations of this over time. For example, there is the grandfather's axe dilemma, where a family continually passes on an old axe but replaces the handle and blade as they wear out. There are even eastern equivalents. For example, there's one called Lincoln's axe, where a supposed axe that Abraham Lincoln owned kept getting passed on, but they had to keep replacing the parts. Same for George Washington's. There's a George Washington's axe, so oh. it's probably somewhat mythical. I wonder if there's a George Washington's wooden teeth. I wonder if they passed those down and, and used them. It's probably in a museum. Uh, I would hope so. If this is your first time hearing the Ship of Theseus paradox, please pause this video now and think for yourself what you think the solution is. You won't regret it. So here are our first impressions. What basic options first come to mind? When considering the Ship of Theseus question, the possible answers uh, really come down to it stops being the ship of Theseus when one plank is replaced. It stops when a majority of the planks are replaced, over 50%, let's say. It stops when all planks are replaced, uh, remains the ship of Theseus the whole time, 
stops being Theseus's ship when it is gifted to the Athenians right off the bat. As soon as he gives it to them, it could stop being the ship of Theseus in theory. And lastly, uh, it was never his ship to begin with. The issue of continuity is really what we're talking about here. Our universe is a dynamic system. As the philosopher J. Cole once said, everything grows. It's destined to change. The question becomes, how can we reliably identify things if they are constantly changing? My first impression of the original riddle is that the ship is not the ship of Theseus at the end, after the planks are replaced. That, to me, has always seemed unusual to to think of, that the ship with all new parts and pieces could be still the same ship. So I've always rejected that. Now, before that, before all the planks get replaced, it's a little dicier. It also can't be the ship of Theseus at some arbitrary point in the middle, as some boards are replaced. I think it can only be called the ship of Theseus so long as nothing about it is touched or renovated. That's at least my first impression. That's interesting. My first impression is that the ship continues being the ship of Theseus the whole time, as long as there is continuity between the old and current ship. However, I am not able to explain why I think the completely reconstructed ship is still his ship. But if it exploded and they made a new ship modeled after the original ship of Theseus, it wouldn't be the ship of Theseus. That's my, my gut reaction. I don't know how correct it is. I'll need to dive, dive deeper into this. Now let's talk about Hobbes' addendum. From Thomas Hobbes' De Corpore in 1655, he says, If, for example, that ship of Theseus, by continual reparation in taking out the old planks and putting in new, were, after all the planks were changed, numerically the same ship as it was at the beginning. And if some man had kept the old planks as they were taken out, putting them together afterwards in the same order, and had again made a ship of them, this, without doubt, had also been numerically the same ship with that which was at the beginning. And so, there would have been two ships numerically the same, which is absurd. And he was right, it is absurd. Thanks a lot, Tommy. You just made the riddle ten times more complicated. So what he's saying there is that if you replace all the boards in the ship, but as you take one out, you save it. You put a new board in, and you save all the old boards. So you've remade the ship with new boards, and then you take the old ones, maybe you touch them up a little bit, whatever, put them back in the same order, and you make the ship again. So now you have two ships. So which one has the real claim to being the true ship of Theseus? Is it both? Is it neither? Is it one of them? Which one is it? So the plot thickens. Now, Hobbes makes you choose between different theories of identity. Materialists say the ship made of the original old planks is the real ship of Theseus, as Daniel said. Others say the material composition of a thing is not the defining feature of it. Either way, most people will admit that having two real ships of Theseus is ridiculous. I think that's pretty clear. Yeah, I'm not sure that there are too many people who would say that that they can both be the ship. I was tempted to say it, but couldn't reconcile it in my head. Yeah, it, there's some sort of gut feeling that makes you think, mm, that's kind of a contradiction. Because you could take that to infinity and just like, you could have a hundred ships. If there were a hundred planks, you could have a hundred ships and take one old plank from the original ship and put it in one of the other ships and replace one of their planks. Yeah, sure. You could have a hundred ships where only 1% of them is from the real ship. Yeah, and they could all be the, quote, ships of Theseus. If you accepted that both of these ships are the ships of Theseus. Yes. So I I don't think you should accept that. 
but I came up with some even some additional variations of this addendum. Okay, well, let's hear it. Challenges our assumptions. What if the ship is replaced with planks of a different material? That would make your claim, Dan, even more, I don't know, an even better alternative. Okay, so you would, you're would you saying like if they got replaced with metal, yeah. let's say. Then it would make your claim even better mm-hmm. to say that the old planks were the ship of Theseus and the new ones are not. I would agree, and I think maybe the reason that a lot of people would probably agree with that or that it seems like that makes sense is because part of how we define Theseus' ship is when we picture it, I don't think there is anybody who is picturing a metal ship when they think of it because they're taking back, looking back in time, okay, ancient Greece, they made ships out of wood. There were no ships made out of metal until you know the Civil War, right? So it being a wooden ship is like something that defines it in people's minds. It's not ever really like necessarily mentioned, like you say planks, sure, but that could be planks of some other material. But people say, oh, it's wood. Okay. So if you make it out of metal, it instantly rings false. Like that is part of its identity. It has to be a wooden ship. If you replace it with metal, ooh, there's something weird there. Here's another one. These are more fun. Let's just say Theseus comes back and they don't change anything about it yet. But then the the Spartans come into town and they raid the ship and they 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 paint pro-Spartan memorabilia on the side of it. it. Is it is it the ship of Theseus still, or does it have to be a pro-Athenian kind of thing in order to really be the ship of Theseus? Mm. Did they ruin it by painting it? Perhaps, because, uh, again, going back to what information you're given in the riddle, we already know that it is he is an Athenian. He is represents them, and he is pro-Athenian. So is that part of its nature? Is that part of its identity? Yeah, and the fact that... The I'll get to this later, but the final end of the ship of Theseus, once she, once Theseus leaves it, is just a reminder of how great Athens is and how great its founder is. Because Theseus, I forgot to mention, is the founder of Athens. Yes, the legendary yeah. founder. Which, uh, as a quick note, I, I looked up the, um, the gentleman that is mentioned by Plutarch. Uh, and if I could go back and find his name, I will. Yeah, his name was uh, Demetrius Phalerius. So the the time between the legendary founding of Athens and that man's lifetime, and that was a real person, Demetrius Phalerius, that's about three or four hundred years. So that's a long time to preserve a ship. And so in his discussions, Plutarch is saying, oh, the Athenians, they they kept his ship for hundreds of years. So you can imagine that in that time, that's a lot of weathering. And so they would have had to uh, replace the plank. So it's a pretty realistic scenario. I just thought I'd throw that out there. That's interesting. Thank you for looking into that. So what would you say uh, if you painted Pro Go Sparta on the side of it? Would that ruin it, or was it still the ship of Theseus? If it happened at the time, like maybe he just dropped it off. Yeah. And then that night, Spartan vandals, uh, what, you, what you might say graffiti artists, came in and spray-painted Go Sparta <laughs> on the side. That would, I think, still technically be Theseus' ship, although you would have to say, well, it's, it's been vandalized. It wouldn't be the same as when he left it, obviously. But technically, I guess it would still be the same ship if you buy into the theory that it is still his ship when he gives it to the Athenians. You know, when he washes his hands of it, he's no longer commanding it. It's no longer on the ocean or on the sea, at least. Then, yeah, I guess you would have to say, well, even though it's been painted, it's still his ship. Nothing's been removed from it. If anything, it, there's something just added to it, paint. Mm-hmm. Interesting. We'll get back to that later. Sure. I asked that for a specific reason, but I'll... We'll, we'll circle back. Yeah, we'll, we'll circle back to that. 
And uh, finally, one final one. What if the ship is blown up all at once, but somehow all the planks, like, are not shattered? Let's just say they all, like, came apart. And then they took all the old pieces that are floating around and made the ship out of it again. Would that be the ship of Theseus? That's an interesting one. <laughs> Having survived an explosion and then put being put back together. Or let's just say, we could say, like, vandals came in and removed every plank and just gently put it in the water. <laughs> and just let it sit there, yeah, just and let they it had to harvest there. them, put them back together. Yeah. I would say it probably it still is because those original planks are the same planks that sailed the seas. They were under him. They were part of his command. They were part of the ship. It's not like they're new pieces. It's not like those pieces have been irreparably damaged. They have just been disassembled and reassembled. So that may lend some credit to the the woodworker thinking the, the Hobbes' addendum where the the old planks are kept and then recycled into a new ship. Yeah, it, this is really just an alternate rendition of the Hobbes sure. addendum. But I like the idea of it blowing up. Uh, that just adds some flair to and it. And not breaking up the planks, just yeah. having them all. <laughs> like just, Minecraft, you know, you yeah. blow it up, all the pieces are just laying there. <laughs> you pick them up. Uh, yeah, so I, I, I would say that there's something to that, that theory at least, that if they blow up and put them back together, it might still be the ship of Theseus. But let's dive a little deeper, as we said. We needed to. You know, we only gave our first impressions, so we need to dive a little deeper. Let's talk about Mereology. Mereology is the theory of parthood relations, of the relations of part to whole, and the relations of part to part within a whole. What things can only be defined by their parts instead of their unitive whole? Let's talk about that. So what are some things defined by their parts? That's a good question. First of all, let me ask you, turn it on its head. What do you think can be defined by its unitive whole instead of its parts, if anything? Uh, first thing that comes to mind probably would be a human being. Human beings come in different shapes and sizes. Some people don't have limbs. Some people are missing organs. You would still probably call them human, unless they're missing one specific organ, which would be the brain. Without a brain, it'd be hard to say that that person is a human, uh, you know, a shell of a person born with just like a brain stem, brain dead, can't interact, can't walk around. You'd be hard-pressed to find anybody who would define them as human. Biologically, yeah, sure, their DNA is human. So if you define it that way, I guess you would have to say they're human. However, do they act like a human? Do they do the things that humans do? No. So I would say being defined by your parts is something that's that that's, has to do with something other than humans. I think humans are defined as being uh, a whole. That's good. Just something to touch on, something to think about. Sure. Artifacts are objects made intentionally in order to accomplish some purpose. Per Aristotle, they contrast with things that exist by nature. Artifacts exist by craft. And I think artifacts are some of those things that could be considered more parts than unified wholes. Indeed. Now, let's, let's think about uh, platonic forms. People laugh at them. Some people mis- don't know what they are, misunderstand them. But... Is there some perfect ship of Theseus in the clouds that all wannabe ships of Theseus strive after? <laughs> and then they aren't because they, they aren't the perfect ship of Theseus in its perfect form up there in the, the heavens. Yes. Maybe. I jest, but this is a serious question and a serious answer to the problem of universals. Can we say that some sort of soul is attached to the ship of Theseus due to its fame? The same way respectable people get upset when ancient things are vandalized, even though the thing isn't living. So if you see like the, I don't know, the Colosseum in Rome and someone spray paints on the side of it, you get mad, right? Of course. Naturally. 
But if they spray paint the side of a one-year-old apartment building, yeah. nobody cares. Well, I mean, the homeowners might, but well, yeah. <laughs> but like the average person isn't going to be enraged that someone they did wouldn't, that. Yeah, they wouldn't consider it like a like an unusually cruel act. Now, why why do you think that is that we get so upset about these old things that mean a lot being vandalized, even though they can't be hurt? It's still the same coliseum. It just got has a little bit of paint on it. Mm-hmm. I would say that it's probably more due to the uniqueness of it and the rarity of it. It's rare for things to survive that long, and it's rare for us to have a something that is so large and and gives us so much information about a people that are no longer here. So it's the uniqueness of it. You know, new apartment buildings are a dime a dozen. So to use your example there, you spray paint one of those. Okay, it doesn't really have any attachment to any per- famous person, any famous time period, any person who's long dead because those people are probably still living in it, the people whose building it was. But the Coliseum is a link for us in the modern day to an ancient people who we are very interested in. So I would say just from the purpose or from the perspective of the uniqueness of it, that's why uh, we care so much if it's vandalized. Now, in regards to Theseus's ship, it's been talked about so much. It's famous. You know, it's uh, it's not any ordinary ship. It's not like other girls, so to speak. And so to, to vandalize that, to destroy it, to recreate it, it would make it might make some people upset. It's not just some boat. Now, as the ancient Greek pre-Socratic philosopher Heraclitus said, you never step into the same river twice. Can you ever step into the same ship of Theseus twice? Or step on the deck, I should say. That is an interesting question. I would say it's possible. The reason he said that about rivers is because the water flows through, and it's never the same water that you step in. Yes. And also, you could say, oh, it's the land under it. But that that's changing too. You know, some dirt erodes and it gets passed down the river. Some new rocks and dirt come and fill in the old holes that are there, whatever. When it floods, it it expands the river. When it's a drought, the river gets smaller. So that's what Heraclitus was saying. Now, could we say the same thing about the ship of Theseus? If it's always going to change, we can forget the one plank. You know, even when it rains or there's wind, like a, a particle of wood is going to come off of it. So really, we, we don't have to wait till one plank is replaced. Like at all the time, the ship is changing yes. in its material qualities. Yes, I would agree. And I think the the river example there makes it harder for someone who would consider themselves a, a muriological essentialist, right? Someone who believes that the parts of something are essential to its being and its identity. That kind of uproots that argument because if you say the planks are essential to the ship's identity. Well, then so are the particles of water running in the river. And those are constantly changing. But you won't find a meteorological essentialist saying, oh, this is a different river. And then a millisecond later, oh, this is a different river. They're going to refer to the Amazon River as the Amazon River, even though it has different water in it all the time. For the record, there are people who do that. Oh, okay. Well, they are crazy people, I would say. I would say that's lunacy to not refer to the Amazon as the Amazon. So I guess it comes down to how do we define a river versus how do we define a ship? We define a ship in, I think, stricter terms than a river. We know going into it that a river changes and it flows. And we know that it's never the same river twice, technically. We know it's never the same water. The shores are always moving. In a flood, it can get much larger. So we already know there's a constant change going on. 
we go into it knowing that and we just say to focus on that it would make it impossible to talk about so we just forget all that and we make part of its identity the fact that it changes we know a river changes so when we say it's the amazon river it technically is still the same river even though it changes because every river changes we already know that going into it and we just ignore that we define it in other terms like general location generally if it's flowing this way in this part of south america it's the amazon river yeah but rivers change course this is true and sometimes don't they flow uh, different directions occasionally isn't there one river doesn't the nile do that yeah i mean i've heard that sometimes the nile goes backward and that might explain the the uh, exodus a little bit oh okay yeah as in the biblical yeah yeah so if it's flowing the reverse of what it normally does is it still the same river some might say no i would say yes because we already know that's part of its nature whatever you say i think you're contradicting your materialist stance but i agree i just i think you're not being consistent that's true i'm not being consistent I, but i would argue that rivers are different than boats okay we can get more into that in a little bit sure now i'll ask would this be an issue if it was just a regular ship like it was not the ship of theseus it's just like here's the ship or a ship, and they kept replacing the planks. Uh, would it always be a ship or the ship? What do you think? A ship. A ship. It would always be a ship, sure, because we define a ship as something that will just float on water and it's made to carry humans, cargo, etc. And it has a general shape in our minds. And if you keep replacing the planks, then it hasn't changed. It still holds that general shape. It still floats on water. The moment it doesn't, then it becomes something different, right? If you change the planks, but you leave a big hole in the bottom, well, now it's just a big paperweight or an anchor. Uh, so with that, I would say it doesn't change. It, but again, your, your definition there is loose. It's a ship. Mm-hmm. Okay, so a ship is defined as something different than the ship or the ship of Theseus. So it's when you get more strict, then you can allow for fewer changes, in my opinion. That's a great observation, actually. I'm... Mm. Wish well, I wish oh, I'd said oh, that. Blown away, yeah. like Drake when he was talking about Lil Wayne. Lil Wayne, he's just like, oh. Ah. <laughs> I would agree. I'd say yes. Um, it will always be a ship because its function would remain the same. A, const- it, a boat or a ship is a constructed object which floats on water and can be used to transport things over water. Yes. And you can have more than one ship. Mm-hmm. You can have as many as you want. You can have one. You can have a billion. It's not limited to one like the ship of Theseus might be. Yes. Yeah. In theory, there's only one mm-hmm. or are there, depending on your stance. Finally, how do we define identity for living things versus non-living things? Is there a difference? I think that goes back to what to my contradiction or what you called my contradiction earlier is I would say that uh, certain things are have different definitions. They fit into different boxes. You know, a, a a rock, let's say. Make it simple. A rock will go through some changes. You know, if it's got metal in it, it'll oxidize, it'll rust. If it's, um, if it's in a windy place, it'll erode. But generally, that process is so slow, there's no point in really talking about it with that much specificity. So you just say, a rock's a rock, it's basically going to stay a rock. But with living things, they are, by their very nature, dynamic. They are changing constantly. When we talk about Evan, for example, we can talk about Evan when he was born. Now, you compare Evan when he was born to now. Very different person. 
but the same person. We say he do is evidence. You actually say that. I do I, say that. I didn't think you held that opinion. Well, I think by definition, you being a living thing, not you're not a ship. You're a living thing. And living things are are by their very nature separate from inanimate objects because they naturally change constantly in a more dramatic fashion than physical objects. Obviously, physical objects, like I said, the rock could rust. It could weather. The boat will lose little tiny little atoms in a windstorm or may lose some planks here and there. But a living thing will, from the moment it is conceived, be changing. And that process is never ending. But non-living things can always be changing too. But the changes aren't as dramatic. Okay, that's not always true. You can go down to the chemical or the, the atomic level and things are change a lot faster than any living thing could. Possibly. Not possibly. It does. The way atoms work, I mean, the electrons are moving so fast you can't keep up with them. You can't even – you don't even know where they are. They're, you just have to do a, a probability of a cloud around it of these certain shapes – Say okay, it's got a this certain pr- probability of being in this. You're right. You're right. The shape. atoms, the electrons do spin that fast. So, yeah. so I, I mean, there's other examples too of non-living things moving or changing quickly, like chemical reactions, for example, of non-living elements together. Sure. You uh, mix some baking soda and vinegar. Yeah, it changes quickly. But would you say that the resulting mess you have on your kitchen counter? is still baking soda and vinegar. No, because it's transformed into something else. Sure. A new compound. Sure. And I would say that that change is so dramatic, you would have to call it something different. You can't call it a living thing. No, I certainly wouldn't. So I would say that if if the ship of Theseus goes through some huge dramatic change, okay, then we'll call it something different. But if the changes are super minute, like losing a few atoms in a windstorm, then I would say, well, it's still the same ship. But a human being in a constant process of change... I'm, I already know it's going to go through those changes no matter what. So baby Evan is still the same person as uh, – I wouldn't say the same person. I would say baby Evan is still Evan as much as adult Evan because I know that humans grow and they start off as babies and they end as old people if you're lucky and you don't get blown up by the Spartans when they attack the ship of Theseus and you just happen to be on board. I would hope that that wouldn't happen to you. So I guess my my ultimate conclusion there is that Different things have different boxes they go in. And living things, I think, different rules apply than inanimate objects. And it depends on the severity of the change. That's just some subjective classification. You, you're not effectively differentiating living and non-living things, in my opinion. You're just saying, oh, well, living things tend to change and non-living things don't tend to change. So I'm defining it to help me answer this riddle, if I say so myself. That may be my answer. I would counter by saying that the alternative is to apply the same thing to all of them, which I think causes even more problems than what I've just caused. There are other solutions. Well, let's talk about some historical answers. We've been yammering on enough, uh, but we're rubes. Let's, let's be honest. Let's talk to some real famous people and see what they had to say. So we mentioned uh, Heraclitus. Let's give his response to the paradox. He believed that everything was always in flux and changing. So he wouldn't say that the ship of Theseus remains as time goes on. Hobbes sided with Heraclitus and said things are not the same as time goes by. But Aristotle claimed that he denied the law of non-contradiction. So maybe we should just move on. He being Heraclitus denied it. Oh, I see, I see. Oh, this riddle can be analyzed from the Aristotelian four causes. Material, formal, efficient, and final causes. Now, 
When I say cause, don't think cause and effect. Think explanation. So there are four explanations of what a thing is. The material cause is the material composition of the thing in question. The formal cause is the arrangement or appearance. The efficient cause is the agent outside of the thing being outside of the thing being changed, causing it to change or be the way that it is. The final cause is the overall purpose of the thing itself and why it is being changed to be the way it is. Let's give an example. When it comes to our pertinent ship of Theseus, the material cause is the wooden planks. The formal cause is the boat-like shape it is made into with buoyant properties. The efficient cause is the original workers who built the ship and the ones who replaced planks afterwards. And the final cause is to transport Theseus and his crew and to serve as a political statement to the Athenians after the fact. However, it is a matter of debate which of the four causes defines what the ship of Theseus really is. It's really nice when they all four line up. You know, then you know what it is. Of course. Yeah. Uh, The formal, efficient, and final causes do not change as the planks are replaced. However, the material cause changes over time. So we can see three out of the four you know, the ship that keeps getting replaced with new planks is the real ship of Theseus. But to the one, the one that you like to adhere to, the material cause, it is the one pointing to the one made of old planks being the ship of Theseus. Yes. So it's like the odd man out, and it kind of throws a monkey wrench into into forming a clear, concise, matter-of-fact, tied-up-in-a-bow solution to the problem. I can very easily see how, how that's holding us up. And it's the reason why at time zero, we can say it is the real ship of Theseus because no, the material is the same. So, okay, if, if at time zero and the material is the same and all three other causes are the same, so they're in line at the very beginning, you would say? Yes. So the only cause that changes throughout all of this is the material cause. So by day, let's say 100 or year, year 400, whoever, whatever, the end of it. By the time we get to a a new ship that we're trying to ask a question about, the material cause is the only thing that has changed. By the time you replace one plank, the material cause has changed. Yes. Okay. So if we're talking about the Hobbes addendum, when you put all the old planks together, now you again have unity, correct? No. You you don't have unity. That's – no. I'll get to it a little later, but I'll – no, actually, I'm going to talk about it now. Sure, sure, because the material is all the same. So what am I missing? What other the, cause am I missing? Well, the other three are different because if you think about it, let's go back to the the formal cause is the boat-like shape it is made into with buoyant properties. But you're taking the old planks and slowly building a ship. When you have like three planks from the old – three old planks, it's not a ship. It doesn't float. It can't transport people. You're right. You're right. So during the process, it's not the ship. No. Uh, three planks, not the ship. Four planks, not the ship, because yeah. three planks is not a ship. Okay, I see, I see. But at the final stage, when you've rebuilt it as a ship with buoyant properties, that one's checked off. I would disagree. Really? Actually, because there's no continuity between the form. It's like a mutant form. There's a continuity in the one being replaced. It always remains a ship that can you know, float on water and carry people if it wanted to. Take one plank out, put another one in. It could always, at every stage. Yeah, it's always a, a it's always a ship by definition. It's the form of a ship, which, by the way, Aristotle tried to redeem Plato's theory of the forms by making it more about the material properties of it instead of like some thing in the sky. Yeah, the ideal uh, uh, that man, the ideal ship. That's why it's called the formal cause, like the cause of forms. 
I learned that. I oh, was amazed. that makes sense. Not that it's wearing a suit and tie. No, no. <laughs> I got you. So it's the form of a ship as in we define a ship by its utility and what it can do. So it's, it's a thing that floats on water and can move stuff around on the water. So maybe this is just uh, getting a little bit too into the weeds or maybe splitting hairs here. But are you saying then that Theseus's original ship, you know, like it, it was made before it was given to Theseus for him to go on his travels. Before it was made, it wasn't a ship. And once it was done, it was a ship. Yeah. So I don't see how that's any different than it not being a ship in the hundreds of years you're taking the planks out one by one. And then once you put them all together, boom, now it's a ship. To me, that is oh. it being birthed, basically. Well, in my humble opinion, you're, you're missing something in that it doesn't become the ship of Theseus until it's done. Sure. Yeah, and from until it's given to him, at that point, it becomes the ship of Theseus, of course. And he can't sail on a ship that's not a ship. You're right. By definition. You're right. By definition, you can't. So it has to start but at the point where it is in the form of a ship. I see what you're saying. So the continuity thing, that that does kind of hinder it because a ship should be a ship, right? It yeah. should always be a ship. And if you take it apart and it's just in pieces and then you put it back together, can you really say it, it, it is Theseus's ship? It, it is a ship by the end. But it the discontinuity really leads me to believe it's not the ship of Theseus. Because it's been taken apart over hundreds yeah. of years and been just in pieces for so long. Yeah, there's no continuity, as I said. Hmm. I would say that perhaps, not saying I believe this, but perhaps it's not wrong that a ship gets taken apart and put back together. It can still be someone's ship. Maybe if they continually own it the whole time. But uh, Theseus but isn't around to say, oh, that's my ship, and he sails on it again. That's, that's not the case. Yeah. By the time it gets taken apart, he's not in the picture anymore. He's long dead. Fascinating. But let me let me move on to sure. the efficient cause. Uh, the efficient cause, it, it consists of the original workers who built the ship and the ones who replaced planks afterwards. So we can just say carpenters or shipbuilders. Sure. That's the efficient cause. Of which point there is still a continuity from the old ships to the new in that these workers have to come in and continually repair the ship. So that's the continuity for efficient cause. Sure. And so with the Hobbs addendum, with the new one being built, it's still being built by shipbuilders and carpenters, but it's not the same ones. So if you define thesis of ship by the men who built it, those men are long dead hundreds of years later. So the one or the many woodworkers who come together and rebuild the new ship out of the old planks are not the same ones. So does that affect the definition? To me, it doesn't really matter who puts their hands on it. It's Again, I'm going back to the original parts and pieces are still there, but it isn't a different. It was put together in a different way than the original ship. So yeah, okay, I I would agree be. that the ship of old planks, the Hobbs ship, we'll yeah, call Hobbs it, ship. that does involve also, uh, I guess to an extent, carpenters and shipbuilders. Yeah. But it is not a consistent consistent line from the old ones to the new. It's not like a a consistent contracting company that's there. It's like oh, we're in charge of replacing the planks. Okay. Yes. Every every year we replace it. Okay, instead of this other one, it's just like a mess, and then all of a sudden they just take it and and in a week maybe they put it together. Yeah, I will. I I, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but sure. actually I kind of do, but I but we shouldn't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I would say the efficient cause is a weaker link in my argument. I would say it's on my side, but it's not as clear as was it the formal cause and the final cause. Yes. And finally, the final cause in that it is the 
it, it's the one that transported Theseus. Okay, but that's what we're arguing about. So well, that is important, though, because the original was intended for Theseus. It yeah. was built for Theseus. The Hobbes ship is not built for anyone. Yeah. It's just built out of the, the pieces, and it's not given to Theseus because he's dead. And there's the second part of the final cause in that it, it serves as a political statement to the Athenian people about how great they are. This one that's continually being replaced, that is the image of the glory of Athens. But what about this dilapidated old ship that can't even... First of all, if they replace the old planks, that means that they're not working anymore. So if you put together all these old planks, even if you put them in the right order, who even says it's going to be a ship anymore? It will probably sink. Yes, and it would just be made as a museum piece because it would not be seaworthy. Yeah, which means it's not in the form of a boat. So going back to formal cause. Ah, clever. <laughs> I, I would have to agree with that because more than likely it would not be in the form of a boat. Maybe the general shape. But is that, oh, I made a general shape of a boat. Let's go out and try it out. Yeah, yeah that's if, not going to work. If it doesn't float, it's not a boat. Boom. Make that a wrap. <laughs> I love it. In modern times, the four-dimensional answer has been proposed. We would define the ship at time T1, ship at time T2, etc. It is the same ship but with different timestamps. So four dimensions being three of space and one of time. Yes. So you have the ship... At day one, no planks replaced. And then you have a ship maybe 100 years later, you replace some, and then they, so on and so forth until the very end when you replace them all. So that has been proposed as a solution. you have much to say on that? I, I don't think it fully answers it. I think it's a good try. It's still missing something. Like, yeah, I would agree. It's still changing. I just think you're kind of trying to distract everybody with that answer. What about the legalistic answer? The ship of Theseus is the ship that belongs to Theseus or the legal owners after it uh, passed ownership. In this case, the ship belonged to the city of Athens. So if Athens says the repaired ship is the ship of Theseus, then that is the ship of Theseus. That it does have some claim, I think. You know, whoever owns this property, they can call it whatever they want. And if we're just talking names here, why not? Why not let them define what the ship is? I, I shudder at this one a little bit because it's nominalism at its worst. It is. And just saying, oh, it's, everything is just construct. What is a man? It's, it's whatever I want to say a man is. Yeah, it's a chicken with all the feathers taken off. Well, that's true. Very true. Featherless biped, indeed. But here's another question. What if while Theseus was, you know, sailing around, if he had to replace planks on it, would it still be the ship of Theseus? Now, that I totally agree, and I think that's an easy one. That's a slam dunk. If he's doing the replacing, yeah, it's just his It's his ship the whole time. It's just his new and updated, upgraded ship. Mm-hmm. But it's still the same ship because he's still sailing on it. Likewise, if the legal owner becomes Athens and they make repairs to it, would that not be the real ship of Theseus? Perhaps, but then I would have to accept that the fully replaced version is his ship. And well, I just can't. I'm not prepared to do that yet. I'm not prepared to take open your mind, man. Let's go over some implications of this riddle. Obviously, the riddle is not limited to ships. It deals with any non-living object, aka an artifact, especially objects which were created by humans for a specific end. Can objects survive change? Do artifacts even exist, or are they only mental constructs to help us make sense of the world? Are they just bundles of atoms? Does a chair even exist? And if it does. Is it worth our time to define every aspect of its nature in order to be happy with the words we use to describe it? 
I would give you a short answer on that by saying that really when it comes down to it, this thought experiment, I mean, it's just it's a fun game, but I think people are going to intuitively decide what they want and everybody's going to intuitively decide something different and we've still managed to go to the moon. So it can't really be all that big a deal. You know what I'm saying? If some people have some different opinions on it, somehow things still work out. So in general, if we disagree on the ship of Theseus, it's not a deal breaker for humanity. Man, don't don't sell this episode short, man. I mean, it is it is great, and and I know in in uh, the next couple of sections here, we're going to cover why it's important. And I'm not saying it's not important, but I am saying that different opinions on it don't necessarily break the bank. If we have to make a new constitution, we're going to say only people who have the right opinion can vote. Yes. Yes. If you're a giga chad who always has the right opinion, those are the only people who can vote. I would say this this kind of harkens back to like does a chair even exist and what makes a chair a chair? You know, that that goes back to forms. Yes. Which Plato brought up. Like how do we even know what a chair is? He said what his, his answer was the theory of the form saying there is a perfect uh, chair form that we all strive toward intuitively. And that's how we know what a chair is. When we look at it, we say, okay, that's a chair. It ain't a perfect chair, but it's it has a resemblance to the chair form that we all know really deep down. I think it's an answer to the problem of universals. I don't think it's the right answer, but it's it's a good try at the answer. It is a good try. And it got people on the right track thinking about this hard question. Likewise, uh, as Aristotle said, for most things, the formal cause defines what it is. So whatever form it is taking as far as measurement, as far as Yeah, like a ship, purpose. a gener- general ship, it's defined by being ship-like, you know? By having the qualities of a ship. That's how Aristotle redeemed Plato's forms. I see. It's not like a thing up in the sky. It's like, oh, it has qualities that we associate with ships, floating, carrying people. And for, so for a chair, it would be allowing you to sit down. Allowing you to sit on a surface that is not the ground. Yes. So let's move on to a big topic. I think this might be fun. Now let give me some time to explain it, and then we can discuss. Sure. Okay. Must we say that only things with souls can survive change with their identity intact. Let me define what has traditionally been known as the soul. Aristotle said, the soul is the first act of an organized body having life potentially within it. In fact, Aristotle wrote a whole book called De Anima on the soul. He might know a thing or two. Aristotle didn't believe that the soul survived death though, unlike Plato and later Christian thinkers. The soul does not have to be a religious concept to explain how people survive death. I think that's a common misconception that I, I understand why they think that way because most people talk about the souls now. It's like, oh, my, my grandma's in heaven kind of thing. So moving on, we can say a human without a soul is not a human but a corpse. Like what, what first of all, just real quick, what would you say is the difference between a corpse and a human? Uh, movement, life, yes. activity. That is what Aristotle defines as the soul, like the life force and that's why they say Christians and most religious people say the soul leaves the body at death. The soul is what gives people the life force sure. to make them animated, as in anima, mm-hmm. soul. And really, when you think about it, it's what makes them unique, too. Two corpses are basically the same. They do the same thing. They lay there. They decompose. They die. They turn to dust. I mean, technically, but their two DNA different. is different. But yeah. yeah, technically, their DNA is different. But, you know, technically, two rocks have slightly different compositions, but they're basically both rocks. Mm-hmm. But... What would make them unique is if they came to life and they acted differently, moved differently, joked and laughed and had different memories. 
That's a good point. Now, a body and a soul together, we call a human. A soul without a body is what people call spirit or a ghost. St. Thomas Aquinas defined the soul as a form. A form makes a thing to be what it is, as Aristotle said, because Aquinas was very close to Aristotle on many things. It is the source of substantial unity and coordinated activity. That's the soul we're talking about. According to Aristotle, there are three types of souls. Vegetative souls, as in plants, possess self-nutrition, growth, and reproduction. Sensory souls, animals, possess sense cognition, sense appetite, and locomotion, aka moving around. Rational souls, or humans, possess intellect and will. Aristotle said that higher beings also possess the lower souls. For example, animals have both vegetative and sensory souls. But Aquinas said that beings only possess one type of soul. It's not a pertinent topic for this discussion, but I just found it interesting, and you can look into it on your own. He thought that the uh, rational soul entailed the, uh, the other qualities of the other souls, but it's not very important for now. If souls do not exist, I would argue that nothing stays the same as time goes on. We'll never be the same person for more than a millisecond because we're always changing. The body contains unfathomable numbers of cells which are constantly dying, being created, and changing. Dan, what is your response to what I just said about the soul? Well, we talked before this episode, while planning this episode, and kind of narrowed down what I thought about the soul. And I kind of agree with Aristotle there. And I do definitely agree that um, humans have all all three. They got the vegetative. They have the, what was the animal? Sensory. One, the sensory. And then they have like the rational. Absolutely. And so I, I definitely agree with this idea of like a life force, that there is something objectively different between animate and inanimate objects. Obviously, that's why we give them two different names, because we can observe qualities in both that are drastically different. There are things that a living being can do that an inanimate being could never do. And so I I agree that that is an important distinction between the two. And let me just say, I just realized this, like animate versus inanimate comes from the word for soul. Uh, Anima. uh, Ah, yes. There we go. It all comes back together. So you agree that there's a soul? In a sense, yeah. I would say that that soul doesn't live on after death. You don't have to. But I would agree, yes, there is is a soul in that sense, in that Aristotelian sense. Aristotle said that the soul could not survive the body's death. I would agree. They had to die at the same time. I agree. Of course, like Christians disagree tremendously, but sure. Aquinas goes over that, but that's really for another time. I think that the soul is a big implication of this. Especially when you start applying it to living things. Yes. Okay, so let's go over our answers. I put answers in quotations. (laughs) Let me start out, actually. um, I asked a friend of mine who was in his senior year of undergrad philosophy at a a four-year university I won't name about the ship of Theseus. And I will say he's the smartest person I know. No offense. (laughs) None taken. In summary, he said that this paradox only applies to artifacts of which the ship is one. It does not have to apply to organisms if you have some way to explain how, quote, the independence, unity, and persistence of parts is not necessary for the independence, unity, and persistence of the organism in general. Most traditional metaphysicians have rejected the existence of artifacts as substances, believe it or not, including, surprisingly, Aristotle and St. Thomas Aquinas. These people would say that the ship of Theseus ceased to be the same substance the moment a single part left its substantial form a.k.a. if it changed in any way. Once one plank was replaced, or really whenever one atom was separated from the ship, it ceased to be the real ship of Theseus. 
However, if we characterize the ship of Theseus as something other than a substance, such as a substance kind, then perhaps it can survive change. Many answers from philosophers throughout history have defied common sense. That often happens in philosophy. <laughs> yeah, I'll say. Yeah. I asked my friend if a legalistic approach would work, as we mentioned, where the ship of Theseus is the ship that belongs to Theseus or its inheritors. He said that this was a solution, but it would disallow you from calling the ship a persistent substance. Perhaps this, quote, this object and many other instances of buoyant muriological compounds belong to the kind, quote, ship of Theseus by virtue of the fact that Theseus so calls them, and by virtue of their being involved in a system of exchange of parts, the first member of which was the object the Theseus purchased. Now you say why, this, why I said this guy was pretty smart. I questioned whether this was subjectivism. My friend retorted that it was a conceptualist approach to universals rather than imminent realism. The temptation is to accept nominalism here and say that the ship of Theseus is whatever people say it is, but that is not a coherent answer either, for it is just subjectivism. The conceptualist approach concedes that universals only exist in the mind, but that they are real nonetheless. Which is kind of a contradiction there, that they're real, but also they only exist in the mind. No, I disagree. I think them being real, they can be like a rational conclusion. Like, do perfect triangles exist? Sure. But they only exist in your mind. They can't exist in nature. This is true, but we could build one. No, or we could can't. we? No, no we, we can't. Couldn't. We couldn't get, get that specific. You're right. We couldn't get that precise because there could always be uh, an atom out of place. Yeah, it wouldn't be a perfect line. Hmm. Fair enough. Partly right, because atoms that. are like cir- kind of circular and irregularly shaped, so it would be impossible to make an a perfect Yeah, and you straight. never know where they are. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> my friend's approach went way over my head, but I thought I'd relay it to the audience and you, Dan, to help so- maybe help some smarter people understand what my friend thinks. I'm sure there are people listening who are like, right on, bro, and they knew exactly what he was talking about, and they said, preach it. Me? Yeah. Went a little bit over my head. So here's my answer. A little bit, little bit straighter to the point than uh, Evan's friend. The ship is no longer Theseus' ship once he gives it to the Athenians. How about that? How do you like them apples? To say it is Theseus' ship implies that it is his ship presently. But once it is given away, it becomes the ship formerly known as Theseus' ship. This makes it easier to deal with any changes the ship experiences while in a museum or in the dock. Since it can't be the Theseus' ship after he gives it away, it will always be formerly Theseus' ship. So you can add new planks, an outboard motor, a flamethrower. You could even paint Let's Go Brandon on the side, and it won't be a problem. We may refer to it as Theseus' ship for convenience, though. To do otherwise might make living life impossible, for you would constantly have to change your definitions of everything, because everything is always changing, to some small degree or another, like Heraclitus's river. However, this becomes less and less convenient when it comes to the ship. As the years go on, Theseus dies, the ship starts to rot, and the changes to the ship get harder and harder to overlook because they just become so large. It's not little atoms flying off, now it's whole planks falling off. So what do you do? I'd say I am more on the side of the muriological essentialist, so I generally believe that an object's parts are essential. Change one part, it becomes something different. Change one board, it's not technically the original ship. Therefore, in my opinion, not Theseus' ship. Or at least, it's a hard thing to convince me of. I do recognize the flaws in this, though, and how it makes it easy to start splitting hairs. One thing is for sure, though. The ship made of original boards is more of a real ship than the ship of replaced boards. IMO. I don't think that's so for sure, but let me explain myself. 
I disagree with your conclusions. I do think you're splitting hairs by saying it is formerly Theseus' ship. You're simply adding an extra step to the dilemma. With your stipulation, we must ask, how do we know which ship is the ship that was formerly Theseus's ship? You're just adding an extra step. It's still the same question. I also think your myriological essentialism causes other conclusions which I, at least, would be uncomfortable accepting. As I said earlier, would a person never be the same for more than a millisecond due to some cell dying within him? I'll leave that open to the audience. However, one might say that my critique only applies to living things. Fair enough. I believe that living things have souls, and non-living things do not. If a judge asked me for my answer, and I don't know, wasn't acceptable, I would simply go with Aristotle and Aquinas, just as an appeal to authority, because if they say something, they, they both say the same thing, then it might be right, because they're smart. <laughs> when something is defined so narrowly, in our case as the ship of Theseus, any change to it will cause it to no longer be the real ship of Theseus, because all four causes do not remain the same, the Aristotelian causes, that is. But I am willing to allow the ship to slowly have its planks replaced and still be colloquially called the ship of Theseus, because living in a world where non-living things always have changing identities is nearly impossible from a practical perspective. The legal owner of the ship over time, in our case the city of Athens, would, would get to decide if their ship was the ship of Theseus. A big problem with Hobbes' addendum is that you are taking old planks and slowly making a boat, whereas the other ship, the one getting old planks replaced with new planks, continues to function as a boat the whole time. This means that the ship is being gradually replaced with new planks, always maintains its formal cause as we said before, whereas the construction made of old planks only becomes a ship once it can maintain buoyancy at some point in the future. Which may or may not happen as we said earlier because the planks are old. Yeah. This lack of continuity of the formal cause, combined with the efficient cause of a gradual stream of workers replacing old planks with new, and the final cause of being a ship which gives the city of Athens pride for its, its heroic past, gives the ship with new planks a better claim to being the real ship of Theseus. The ship of reconstructed old planks only keeps the same material cause as the original, but it lacks the other three causes. Neither ship has a 100% claim to be the real McCoy. But one has a much better claim than the other. In my opinion, that's the one that gets slowly changed over time. And eventually new becomes new, totally new planks. Yeah, I think it has a better claim, but it's not 100%. Yes, and I think that is a major conclusion of this, that I think anybody who, who talks about this at any length will realize that, I mean, there's a reason we're still talking about it today. It's because nobody will be 100% satisfied with each or with a with a solution because it always requires you to reject something that in your normal life you would otherwise probably accept, maybe yeah. implicitly. It's the reason that people have such strong gut reactions to this. Like for me, it was it stays this, the same ship the whole time. For you, it was like, oh, you get rid of a plank, it's easy. Mm-hmm. Like it's no longer the ship. It just depends on who you are. Most people will pick one or the other. Yes. And I think that just goes back to – even, even though we couldn't put it in so many words, I, I think it goes back to the Aristotelian causes, which I read. I was just, I had a breakthrough last night when I was reading about the causes. I realized this is my answer. Yeah. The causes. Yeah, the causes are a real clear, succinct way to analyze it. It gives you like a, a, a framework, a lens to look at it through. That's very clear, I think. And it's it's the reason that I, I identified st- so strongly with the ship being the same ship the whole time, because... It's clear the formal cause and the final cause 
are the same. Or, I mean, they they stay the same with the ship that is slowly changed. Yes. And at, that's at every the, stage. Yeah, at every stage, there's continuity. That's why intuitively, that's that was my opinion. Whereas for you, you care a lot more about the material cause, and that's why your opinion was strongly in favor of keep the old planks to make it the old. Yeah, because as soon as I see someone saying, this is my ship, and then someone runs up and just yanks a board off of it, you've damaged it. You've taken something from it. And to me, that seemed like an offense, and it, it uh, I wouldn't say it triggered me. But you get what I mean. It, it just made me feel a certain way. Intuitively, I said, that cannot be the same ship anymore. Dude, you're literally getting triggered by nature. Yeah, I know, right? And everything changes, and I'm getting triggered. You're, you're getting triggered at water and wind, man. I know. I need to calm down. It's just a podcast. <laughs> Finally, our last question. Is philosophy the art of asking useless questions and not doing anything productive in life? Or is it the source of all knowledge? Let me have, here's a little anecdote. Go ahead. My wife brought up that I read serious books about philosophy to her family. I was very angry that she did that, but, you know, it happened. So her grandmother, who loves me, just looked at me for a second. She shook her head and she said, Nothing good ever comes from that philosophy. I love that philosophy. Yeah. <laughs> the best part From of that. that nonsense is what like she was implying. This sentiment is shared by many people in America and abroad. The word philosophy often brings eye rolls and dismissals of it being useless questions that make no sense and just make my head hurt. The minutia of philosophy may be unhelpful to most people in their daily life. But philosophy in general is essential to navigating the real world. We take it for granted. But without philosophy, how would we form any opinion on the nature of reality or the nature of man and ourselves? What about the nature of objects and how we organize them, how we name them and refer to them? Without philosophy, we would find it difficult to make ethical or moral choices, choose our paths in life, decide on a political candidate, or evaluate the choices that we and others are constantly faced with. Philosophy is, more than anything, a tool which allows us to make judgments about any and all problems and be more or less satisfied with our answer. We all use philosophy intuitively, maybe even unconsciously, day by day, but it is guiding us nevertheless. And like so many things in our lives, the degree to which we understand something or practice something will often determine our success. The ship of Theseus thought experiment is meant to challenge your preconceptions and exercise the more, shall we say, existential parts of your brain that often run on autopilot, making snap judgments on an endless stream of philosophical problems without stopping to ask, why do I believe what I believe? There's a fun game to prove how philosophy is the basis of everything. Go to Wikipedia and go to a page you want or a random article. Click on the first non-parenthesized, non-italicized link. Continue this process until you'll inevitably end up on the Wikipedia entry titled Philosophy. Really? Yes. This works over 90% of the time, more like 95% of the time. If you keep clicking on it, it will lead to philosophy. Isn't that pretty cool? That is cool, and I've never tried it, but I'm going to try it right after this, and I'm yeah. going to report back. The only, the only ways it doesn't work, actually, is if you end up in loops or if the page is like a dud and it doesn't have any links on it. Otherwise, yeah, sometimes it all, the pages are real short, right? And they don't have links. Yeah, it's like this, it says this article is a stub or something, you know. But isn't that interesting? Everything comes back to philosophy. Now you might say science is the basis of all truth. Science is all we need. That's what Stephen Hawking said, I believe. I think he said that 
science made philosophy obsolete. But let me ask you this. Where did you come to the conclusion that science is the basis of all truth? Probably from a philosophy you had. It is a hidden philosophical assumption. Boom. To conclude, let me ask you, the viewer, a question. Do you feel really smart or really ignorant after musing on this thought experiment? I would suggest that if you feel completely ignorant, you may be the wisest of us all. Unlike us who think we're right. (laughs) (laughs) But we have the podcast and you don't, so (laughs) There may not be a valid answer to this question, and it may be arrogant to suggest otherwise. Some of the world's brightest minds have been unable to find a satisfactory solution to this problem. And that's what makes me feel so much better, thinking about all of this. It's so difficult to sort it all out in your head. And if you do it right, you should feel uh, like kind of an idiot because you contradict yourself or you get confused and you can't sort it out. And even if you draw it out on a piece of paper, it's so difficult. But then I think of all the really, really smart people who have tried and failed, I guess, uh, to come up with the answer that everybody would have a consensus on. That makes me feel better. What about you? I agree. I feel better about it than when I first started this episode. I learned a whole lot, but I still don't have 100% answer on it. My answer is there's no real answer, kind of. That's kind of what I was alluding to earlier. You know, everybody's going to have a different take on it, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. And it's not necessarily doom and gloom. You know, it doesn't, our whole existence doesn't hinge on us all agreeing on the ship of Theseus, which kind of speaks to maybe there's some truth out there that we all implicitly have found or agreed on, but we just can't seem to put it into words. Somehow all of this stuff still works. All of, all of our daily life still manages to continue even without agreeing on this topic. You would think that if it was that important about, you know, it's about the nature of objects and reality that all of our disagreements would have caused the world to blow up, but somehow it hasn't. So, hmm, maybe there's some deeper truth there that we have yet to realize. The world is one, man. There is no spoon. I digress. Let's go over the takeaways. The ship of Theseus paradox has been around for thousands of years, and yet we're still talking about it. And that is pretty cool. It's almost as if it is immortal. Second, I really want to read the Corpus Aristotelicum I just bought. One of the best one dollars I've ever spent. I spent. Is this a collection of his works? Actually, it was two dollars because it was two volumes. It's every. I believe it's every work he wrote. That's a deal. Do you think Aristotle would be upset if he found out that you bought his entire life's work for two (laughs) dollars? I think he'd be happy that I'm reading about what he said. He'd probably look at the glass half full. You're right. Philosophy can be really confusing. That is putting it mildly, but it is a highly rewarding pursuit. Everyone should be interested in philosophy because it is the basis of everything. It really is. Now, what are our lingering questions? First, are artifacts defined by their material composition or something else? Well, we, we don't really know. We don't know anything here. We don't. Uh, <laughs> what is it that uh, Socrates said about knowing nothing? Uh, first, you, uh, first, you must admit that you know nothing or something yeah, like that. that's it. Basically. Do souls exist? How do you explain identity without recourse to the soul? You know, I'd say, like, like we said before, I do believe souls exist. It's really hard to explain the identity of a living thing without recourse to soul, except if you say its material composition is its identity, but then its identity is always changing. So, can philosophy be useless? Would we be better off, quote, in the real world, as many think we are not in right now? I think there are times it can be useless. 
there are some questions that are really useless to ask and that may be part of philosophy. But generally, philosophy is very useful, extremely useful, maybe one of the most useful things out there, at least for laying a groundwork for the rest of knowledge and scientific pursuit and things like that and guiding you in your life. I agree. It shouldn't be dismissed as useless so easily. But I do feel like many college courses ruin people's opinion of philosophy by making it about useless stuff. Yes. Or making it boring or just too in the clouds. Should Evan bring this paradox up at every social gathering he goes to? You know what? New year, new you. I say 2022 (laughs) is the year of the ship of Theseus. You just drop that thing every time you meet someone new or any time you're in a group of more than like four people and just report back and tell us what happens and see how many times you get beat up. (laughs) I'll beat some people up if they try to tell me that. What do you mean it's not the same ship when you replace the planks? (laughs) Anything else you want to say? I think I've said enough. Yeah, we've said plenty, probably too much. We know nothing. That's the conclusion. That's all for today's show. Join us again next time for even more ancient wisdom. Now, I wonder how close that was to the ideal form of a... (laughs) Of a Ship of Theseus episode. Of a Ship of Theseus podcast episode.